Would you guys join me in praying uh, as we come to the Word of God this morning? Lord Jesus, as we come to seek you this morning, may we find you. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will find me when you seek me and seek me with all your heart. Lord Jesus, may we now at this point, may, may you empower us through your Holy Spirit to set down the things of this past week, to set down the, the worries and concerns of the week ahead, and just to fully be present, to seek you with all of our hearts this morning, because your promise will be fulfilled. We will find you if that is the case. So God, we come now just seeking your face asking you to speak to our hearts, just as David just illustrated, God, the way that you spoke so clearly to him, would you speak clearly to us now? You know exactly where we are. You know exactly what we need to hear. You even know exactly how each of us hears best. So Lord Jesus, would you come through your Holy Spirit and just speak to your church? May we be changed. May we be better for it. May we respond in obedience when we hear your call. So come, Lord, I pray, and God, as always, may I decrease and you increase this morning. May it not be remembered what I say, but may it be remembered what you say through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So this Sunday is kind of the, the second part uh, in a two-part series. Last week, we started just talking about hope. Uh, and we were talking about the effects that hope has in the life of a believer. Last week was kind of building the case for, for why we are called to pursue hope, why we need to pursue hope. And we looked at five effects, five profound effects that hope has in the life of a believer. And I'm just going to touch on these real quick by way of recapping. Hope fuels our endurance. Hope renews our strength. Hope spurs us on. Hope sets us apart in the world, and hope brings purpose to our lives. We are at a time now at the end of 2020 when many look back and go, oh, thank God that it's over. Maybe 2021 will be better. Maybe things will change. And it's always been this from so many people. Maybe we can just make it through 2020. And last week, our discussion was based around, I don't think that's the way that God has called us to live. God has called us to live with hope today because he is still moving and he is still working. Because even in the midst of 2020, even in the midst of COVID, even in the midst of uh, the election that has just happened and all of these divisive things and these things that make it seem like what is even going on and they can kind of suck the hope out. God has called us as believers to live with hope and we must choose to pursue it. Hope is not something we talked about last week that just comes naturally. Hope must be pursued. When hope is pursued, we see these effects in our lives. We see strength and endurance. We are spurred on to greater love and good deeds, as the author of Hebrews says it. We are set apart and we are filled with purpose when we experience hope. So this week, what I want to do is transition from the why, why pursue hope, as we talked about last week, to the how. Practically, how do we pursue hope? It's easy to talk about. It's easy to read some verses and go, here's what hope does, and to go, okay, cool. Now what? How do I practically begin to move forward? And so uh, by way of having that discussion, we are all called to pursue hope, and I believe we do it best by living into three truths that we're going to talk about. There may be some more out there, but these three, if you miss them, you will miss hope. You'll fall flat on your face. These are three things that we not just have to understand, but truly live into, put into practice, choose to pick up these three truths. Just knowing and understanding will never cut it. So here's the, here's the first truth that we have to live into if we're truly going to experience hope, if we're really going to be able to pursue hope. Here's the first truth. Hope is a person. Hope is not an emotion. We're not talking about pursuing positive thinking. We're talking about pursuing hope. And the hope of the scripture is found in the person of Jesus Christ. It is not an emotion. It is not a set of circumstances. Hope is alive and well because Jesus is alive and well. 
We defined hope last week as this. In the Greek, whenever you read hope in your New Testament, it's defined as this, expectation, trust, confidence. These are not just emotions that, like, I'm not just expecting that everything's magically just going to be okay. I'm expecting that Jesus is who he says he is and that Jesus is going to do what he said he's going to do. I trust him. I have confidence in him. Hope is a person, not an emotion, not a state of mind, not a state of being. Hope is the person of Jesus Christ. And the only way that we will ever successfully pursue hope is to pursue him. Because hope is found in him. He is both hope and the hope giver. Here's the thing that we have to understand. Sometimes we, we read about some of these things like, like peace, like hope, like perseverance, and, and some of these different things that we want in our lives. And we almost picture them like it's something that God either gives or withholds, that he kind of throws your way if you're good and withholds if you're bad. But here's actually the way that these things work. Hope, for instance, is a byproduct of the presence of Jesus. When you experience the presence of Jesus, when you pursue him, and as I said earlier, Jeremiah 29, 13, you will find me when you seek me and seek me with all your heart. Listen to the pursuit there. When you pursue Jesus, you will find him. And by finding him, you will experience hope. It doesn't come any other way. I'm going to be honest with you. You can't read your Bible enough to get hope. You can't sing enough worship songs enough to muster up hope. Hope comes purely through seeking the face of Jesus. Now, can that be done through the scriptures? Absolutely, and it will be. Can that be done through worship and prayer? Yes. But sometimes we get that stinking thinking into our head that goes, if I just, if I just read enough verses, it'll magically happen, or I'll be good enough, God will be happy with me, and he'll kind of throw some hope my way, and we miss it. Some have put it this way. That's seeking God's hands, what he can do for you, when what we're called to do is to seek his face. To just be able to gaze lovingly upon the eyes of a father who cares for us more than we can even imagine. And when we see his face, we experience hope. To pursue hope is to pursue Jesus Christ himself. Do not get caught up in pursuing an emotion Pursuing just happiness. Pursuing just maybe this situation will just go away. It is about pursuing the person of Jesus because hope is a person, not an emotion. 1 Thessalonians 1.3, we read this passage last week. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't say, man, you had all of this endurance just inspired by some wishful thinking. You finally got a hold of the power of positive thinking and good self-talk. Your hope was securely in Jesus Christ. And from that, we saw endurance and labor and faith produced. Because your hope was in a person. The one who is alive and well, the one who is faithful to us. Hebrews 10.23, we read this passage last week as well. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Why? For he who promised is faithful. It is all about him. It is all about seeking and finding him. And when we do, we will experience hope. We will experience all of the things that hope produces in our lives not because we just worked really hard at it, but because we were aiming at the right target. Jesus, I just want to be closer to you. I just want to see your face. I want to see you exactly as your word says, as faithful. Maybe I have some doubts here and there. Lord, I want to bring them to you and lay them at your feet because I believe that if I find you, I will possess hope and peace and joy all the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all come through interaction with God, through the presence of his Holy Spirit in our life, through seeing the face of Jesus, we receive all of those gifts. Not by working really hard at each one to kind of show God, look at what we did, aren't you proud of me? But if I can just see him, I'll receive all of these things. It's a byproduct of, 
of being in his presence. Is this making sense, church? You got masks. I need some heavy eyebrow action or something. Okay. Hope is not an emotion. Hope lived out, like practically, hope looks like a dogged determination. Again, we, we, we said that hope is expectation, trust, confidence. Lived out, it is a dogged determination. Two stories that, that we're going to look at, uh, and I'll just kind of briefly tell you about each one. One is in Matthew chapter 9, and it's a story of this woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. And it says that she has suffered much during this time at the hands of doctors. She's spent her entire life savings. She's had to go through a bunch of painful procedures, and she has suffered for 12 years from this ailment in her body. And this woman, one day Jesus is coming close to her town, and the thought hits her, if I can just get to Jesus, everything will be okay. It actually says, the way that she words it, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, if I can just touch like the outer edge of his clothing, if I can get that close to him, everything will be okay. And so she pushes through this crowd that uh, the scripture says was just a mass of people pressing in on Jesus. And this lady weasels her way through the crowd because she has a dogged determination that Jesus makes things different. And if I can just get to Jesus, everything will be different. And listen, we she didn't know that Jesus was a good teacher and she didn't know like the gospel and this wasn't like a salvation experience. All she knew was this. Jesus makes things different. And if I can just see his face, if I can just get to Jesus, everything will be different. A passage we talked about a couple months ago in Mark chapter 2, the story of the paralytic man. Jesus is at this house teaching, and the house is so full of people, they're, they're spilling out through the doorway. People are waiting out in the yard, trying to just hear what Jesus is saying through the windows. And there are four men who have a paralytic friend who think, again, we have to get him to Jesus. If we can just get our friend to Jesus, everything will be different. And so these men, with dogged determination, climb onto the roof of a house that is not theirs, and they start clawing and scratching, and they make a hole in the roof. And in case you didn't go to construction class like I didn't, holes in roofs are not supposed to be. What they're doing was crazy was punishable, yet they didn't care because they said, if we can just get our friend in front of Jesus, no matter the cost, everything will be different. And so they lower their friend down through the roof. And there's people who are just beside themselves. Who do they think they are? Not only, you ever been cut in line? There was a house full of people and a yard full of people going, who do these guys think they are? There was religious Pharisees there going, why would they come to Jesus? They're supposed to come to us. Everyone's beside themselves, but these men would not be detoured. They had a dogged determination if we can just get our friend to Jesus. So they lower him down, and Jesus heals this man. Jesus forgives this man of his sin, which they thought was blasphemy at the time. And everything is different because of the hope they had, the confidence, the trust, the dogged determination, if I can just get to Jesus. Now, I want to be very clear about something, because in both of those stories, the people's circumstances has changed. They experienced miraculous healing, and they came away, we see in the story, rejoicing because Jesus, not, not only did they get to Jesus, but Jesus' power moved through them, and their circumstances changed. But I want to be very clear about this. Hope is found in him, not in the alleviation of circumstances. Hope is not found through, I finally received a miracle. Through, okay, good, I finally got a job. Or, or that whatever physical problem I've had was finally dealt with and I can move forward. Now I can have hope. That is not the story of scripture. We're going to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul I don't know of anyone that followed Jesus harder or closer than the Apostle Paul. He wrote half of the New Testament. He went all over the known world multiple times to, to take the gospel of the kingdom to those who had never heard it. He saw hundreds, if not thousands of people come to faith. He saw dozens, if scores of churches planted. Yet the Apostle Paul... He, he had this physical ailment. We don't know what it is. Some people take some educated guesses. But he had this physical ailment that he brought to the Lord, saying, Lord, would you please touch this? He knew again, same thing. I have to get to the face of Jesus. 
And if I can, everything will be different. And here's how he tells his story. He, he has just finished uh, earlier in, in 1 Corinthians 12. Anytime you see therefore, what's the question you ask, church? Do you guys know? What's the therefore, therefore? Anytime you read therefore, you have to ask that question. Paul has just finished talking about all of the amazing things that he has seen God do, and he has seen miracles and, and all of these different things. Yet here's what Paul says. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. The, my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insult, catastrophe, persecutions, and in pressure because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, Paul had that same dogged determination. If I can just get to the face of Jesus, everything will be different. And so he brought his plea three times. And apparently, Paul... And this was new flash. Paul's way more faithful than me because I'd go three times, nothing. I'm bringing this thing every day until he does something. But Paul knew when I come to Jesus, my prayers are heard. And so three times he came to Jesus and said, would you take this, this thorn in my flesh? Even to the point where it said it was used to torment him by the enemy. It brought doubts. It brought fears. It was, it was a tormenting thing. And he brought it to God and he said, man, you can make everything different. Touch me, be with me. And so what do we see? Did Jesus make everything different for Paul? Yes. Did he magically make his circumstances change and all of a sudden Paul's thorn in the flesh was taken away? No. But when Paul saw Jesus, he experienced hope and listened to the hope in him. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and in pressures because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God didn't just make Paul's circumstances change and now he was physically fit and didn't have to worry about it anymore. Jesus said, because you've come to me, I'm going to give you hope that even in the midst of these circumstances, you're going to see me more clearly than you ever have before. To the point where you're going to be praising me for the weaknesses you have because you're going to see me moving in those. Paul got to the face of Jesus, and even though his body wasn't healed, he experiences hope that changes everything. Paul's hope was found not in the alleviation of his circumstances. It was found in his pursuit of Christ. And ours is to be the same. If I can just get to the feet of Jesus... Everything will be different. Maybe God will work a miracle and my circumstances will change. Maybe God will allow my circumstances to continue and he will change me in the process. Either way, I can have hope because he who promised is faithful. Amen, church? Amen. All right. I guess it's okay. So the first truth, hope is a person. The second truth that we need to live into if we're going to experience hope, if we're going to pursue hope, is this. Hope is hard on empty. Many of us, when I talk to people just about where they are coming into the end of 2020, I continually hear things like, I feel so busy, I just can't keep up. I don't have it in me anymore. I hear people using words like depression and isolation and some of these things that just are like, ugh. I hear this one all the time. With the kids home all the time, I'm just always on. I'm just tired. People are running on empty as we kind of coast through the end of 2020. And let me tell you, hope is hard on empty. Many of us have allowed ourselves to get so run down by life, by just the pressures of this world, We've allowed ourselves, and I don't mean that in a guilt kind of way, but let's take ownership. We've allowed ourselves to run down on empty, and hope is really hard when we're on empty. You see, I hear people talk about, like, I don't know, I just, I feel so busy, and there's always something more to do now. But let's be honest. If we took what was on our calendar now, and we put it in any other year, 
we would be wondering what we're going to do with all of our extra time. Now we have a couple things a week, and we're like, oh, I just can't anymore. It used to be that we had a couple things every single day, and we were moving one thing to the next. If we looked at simply the pace of life right now, in any other year, we would go, this isn't busy. I've got so much time, I don't know what to do. Our issue is not a busyness issue. It's not a calendar issue. Our issue is a capacity issue. We are so low on capacity, so low on energy, that everything we do feels like it takes everything we have. And this is not the way that we were created to live. This is not the way that we have to live. We've kind of been lulled, many of us. Now listen, I'm painting with a broad brush right now. Some of you are in here and going, I am living my best life. I've got this 2020 thing figured out. Praise the Lord. But there are many who are just running on empty and their hope is depleted as well. And this is not the way that we have been called to live. It's certainly not the way that we have to live. But we have to address this capacity issue. One of the ways that we talk about that here in the church, we've done some trainings, and we use buckets uh, to, to, uh, to explain these. And essentially, we go, look, none of us are just physical beings, right? None of us are just spiritual beings. The, the scripture uses the word manifold, which means many-sided. We are manifold beings. We have a physical nature. We have an emotional nature, a mental nature, and a spiritual nature. We're all of these things at once. And the, the issue that we have is if we don't take care of ourselves in each of these issues, our buckets run empty. Our capacity drops. Our energy, our physical energy, emotional energy, mental energy, and spiritual energy. If we are not intentional to restore ourselves, then what we're doing is we're putting ourselves in a place where, I won't say it's impossible, but it is real hard to experience hope. Because here's the way that these work. All of these, while we put them as separate buckets, it's like there's a hose connecting all of them. And if one of them gets drained, they start to siphon off energy from the other areas. And eventually, we just become depleted as a person because we don't really know how to take care of ourselves well. We don't really know how to restore ourselves well. And hope is hard when you're on empty. We have to learn to practice restoration in each of these areas of our lives, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. Let me, uh, a little differentiation here real quick. There is a huge difference between restoration and escape. Many of us go like, yeah, I mean, sure, I'm tired all the time and whatever, but like, all I want to do is get to the end of the day where I can just turn on the TV and just veg for a little while. All I want to do is just lock myself in the bathroom, get on Facebook for a while, and just scroll. And, and we think that's going to make me feel better. But here's the test. How many times after watch, binging a couple shows on Netflix or, you know, how many, have your legs ever fallen asleep in the bathroom because you were just on your phone too long? If you're not raising your hand, you're lying. Okay. This is a common experience because we tell ourselves, this will give me what I need. If I can just escape for a little while, if I can just not think about my problems, not think about how tired I am, not think about what the kids need, not think about work, not, if I can just escape and breathe, I'll be okay. But it's a lie. How many of us, after spending an hour or two or three scrolling on social media, binge watching a show, playing video games, whatever it may be, how many of us get up afterwards and go, let's do it. I have so much energy right now, let's go. My bucket is full. No. Most of us, after that, get up off the couch and there's the, oh, okay, here we go. Time to make dinner. Time to do whatever we need to do. It doesn't work. We don't feel restored after we do those things, yet we keep going back to them. And it doesn't work. We have to make different choices. We have to put ourselves in a place where we have the energy to pursue hope and find it. And th this is hard. What I'm talking about right now, some of you are going, oh, no, that sounds like work. But, but sitting and vegging is all I have the energy to do. I don't have, like, make a different choice. What are you talking about? We have to be really intentional about rest and restoration now 
more than ever. Uh, There's a passage we looked at a couple months ago as well where Jesus is talking about the Sabbath, and he says this. Then he told them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Okay, the Sabbath was this one day. For them, it was from Friday night at 6 p.m. till Saturday night at 6 p.m., and it was written into their law that during this time, they were to do no work. They were given permission to do nothing, but not in a sit and veg kind of way. They would feast. They would have friends and family over. They would do things that were restorative to them. They would praise the Lord. They had this whole thing worked out. And the whole point was the Sabbath was to restore them. But they began to look at it like, because then God won't be mad at you. And they had this messed up view of it. And Jesus trying to correct that, but there's something in it for us today. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God created rest and restoration as a gift for you. Because without it, your soul withers and dies. Without it, your physical health dries up. Your emotional capacity, your mental capacity wither and die without restoration. So God actually built it in to ancient Judaism where he says one full day every week is to be spent restoring yourself. Because without it, you will wither and die. And we have completely lost that in our culture. It is work, work, work. The thought of doing nothing to most Americans is abhorrent. Oh, lazy people. We hate it. It's built into our culture. Yet God says there is one day a week. And and for us, we need to find more than just that day. But throughout our days, when you are given permission to think about yourself, and this sounds selfish, and we go, oh, no, Jesus would never tell us to do that. But to think about yourself, what do I need to restore myself physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually so that I have something to give those around me? Some people hear this talk when we talk about these buckets, and they go, so the point is to get the buckets full and then keep them topped off. Never let anything take anything out of the buckets. No. We want to fill the buckets because then God calls us to pour them out on all of those around us to spend our energies on those that we love, on those that God's placed in our path. We're supposed to be tired at the end of the day. You're supposed to get to bedtime and go, I'm spent. But because I gave my best to the ones who deserved my best, because I learned to steward my energy in a way where those that God has called me to minister to, I had it to give them. I didn't waste it in the areas where it was just being poured out on the ground but I have been a good steward of my energies and we have to learn to restore ourselves. So we we have like a couple page workbook that I can give you. Uh, If anyone is interested in learning more on this, we can email it to you, I can print it out, whatever. It's a pretty simple thing. Here's, Here's the basics of it. Is if we will spend a couple minutes just thinking about each one of those areas, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, And just going, when in my life was the time that I had the most energy physically? Let's take this one, for instance. When was that time? For some of you, it's like, man, early 20s. Some of you were in your early 20s, and you go, ah, when I was 19. All the energy that I had. Here's No matter what, it's going to be when you were younger. Whether it was yesterday, a year ago, or 10 years ago, it's going to be when you were younger. And there's nothing we can do to recover that but don't let that be the thing that lets you throw this whole thing out. Well, but I'm just not young anymore. The, the point is not to go, okay, how do I get back to being 25? But going, when I had the most energy in that area of my life, what were some common denominators? What were some things that were present? You know what? I was probably eating healthier than I am now. I, I had a really active job, and now maybe I sit more. What, there was some activity. I had a friend who was always calling me going, hey, why don't we go play basketball? Hey, why don't we? And they were kind of holding me accountable and urging me on. The point is to, to locate some of those things so that you can go, how can I take some steps to put some of these things back in my life? To help get as much energy, as much capacity as I can now, because hope is really hard when you're on empty. God has more for us than just eking through the day but we have to make some choices here. And the thought of working on, your, on yourself to restore yourself may sound daunting for some, because here's the truth. It takes energy to make energy. We have to make some intentional choices 
if we're going to make some healthy choices. We know that the benefit is there. We know that I'm going to feel better tomorrow, we, all of those things, but it takes some energy right now. And that's the discipline. That's the hard part. That's where we have to ask, is hope worth it? Because I know right now, I just don't have the energy to hope, and this is not where God has called me to stay. What are some steps that God is calling me to take to put myself in a position where I can receive hope? Is this making sense? Okay. So uh, one last practical thought here. And again, we have some, uh, some workbook things that can kind of help uh, walk you through some of these if some of you are interested in. But especially as we come up on New Year's and New Year's resolutions are upon us and some of you may even be thinking them, here's the one piece of advice that I'll give you. Think micro changes. What so many of us do is maybe we go, okay, here's some stuff that was, uh, that was around when I was younger and I just had all this energy. And so I'm going to make these huge sweeping changes. I'm going to work out five times a week. I mean, sure, I sit on the couch all day every day now, but five times a week starting January 1st. And how long does that last us? This is where you answer. Three days. Maybe you make it through the first week and you're so dead by the weekend that like, I'm never doing that again. Maybe you're really disciplined and you make it two, three weeks. We have this tendency to make these huge sweeping changes. Mentally, man, I was at my peak when I was in school and we were read I had to read a book a week when we were in school. I'm getting back to that. No, you're not. At least not day one. We want to make these huge changes, but here's what science proves this and everything. If we're going to make lasting changes, if we're going to keep pursuing health in these areas so that we can receive hope, we have to make small changes. You know what? Like for most of us, here would be long-term one of the most profound changes you could make. When you wake up in the morning, drink a glass of water. And we go, well, I can't be bothered with that small step. A glass of water? Most of us suffer from chronic dehydration. We walk around dehydrated all the time, which affects our mental function, which affects our physical function, which affects the, do I have the energy to even pick up the Bible and read? I mean, it goes everywhere. And we would make, we would see so much progress if we just started by drinking a glass of water in the morning. It seems so minuscule. It seems like, why bother? And I see some of you taking drinks now, good. It seems so minuscule, but steps like that over the long haul, have so much greater an effect than that one week that I'm going to push it real hard and work out every day and then go back to life as normal. If we would learn to make small steps, micro changes, micro disciplines, you know what? I can't transform my whole spiritual practice right now today. But what I can do is, you know what? Prayer is really hard for me. And you guys know me. I set alarms on my phone for everything. I'm going to set an alarm that just reminds me to spend three minutes in prayer a day. I'm going to find a time that works best for me in the morning, lunch break, at night, whatever it may be, and I'm going to start with something small, three minutes. I'm just going to thank God for whatever I can think of that day, and I'm just going to ask him uh, that he would move in my family, whatever it may be for you. You will grow more intentionally spending three minutes than going, I'm reading my Bible for an hour every morning. And then I'm going to pray for two hours, and I'm fasting every day. No, you're not. If we will embrace just micro changes, micro disciplines, we put ourselves in a position where we now have the capacity to pursue hope and to receive hope. Is this making sense, church? Okay. Finally, this last one. Hope is hard alone. Hebrews 10 we read part of this passage last week, and I'm, I couldn't, there's parts of it that we're not really going to focus on, but it's just such good truth that I had to put it in here so that we read it anyway. Uh, so let's read passage 19 uh, through 25, and then we're going to focus on a few passages in the middle. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most high place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. 
And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Notice how closely the writer of Hebrews linked together this hope that we have and moving in this hope with encouraging one another and not forsaking meeting together. I don't think that this was uh, just by accident. He's trying to tell us that, look, without the encouragement of one another, without the, the, when they talked about gathering together, it wasn't just like a Sunday morning church service where they came and sat and listened and then went home. When they gathered together, they ministered to one another and the gifts of the Holy Spirit were present. It was a very active thing. Every member of the body was active in using their gifts and talents and ministering. And he said that, look, he tied together this hope that we profess, holding on to this hope that we profess with the encouragement that we gain from the body, with, with this gathering together and seeing the body be the body. Many of us experience a, a downward spiral in many ways. We start to feel like emotionally overwhelmed. We start to feel drained of energy and capacity and so we get overwhelmed, which leads us to isolation, which starts to lead to, to feelings of depression. And the more depressed we get, the more overwhelming life feels. And the more overwhelming life feels, the more isolated we become. And the more isolated we become, the more depressed we feel. And it's this tailspin. And what we need, I believe what the scriptures are teaching us, is we need brothers and sisters to pull us out of the tailspin. We need brothers and sisters to encourage us to keep going, to speak truth over us. We need to be reminded that we aren't alone. We need brothers and sisters to come and help us lift the heavy burdens that life has given us. We need family to help us lift our eyes off of ourselves and fix them squarely on him. Hope is hard alone. And 2020 has put us in a position where many of us are far more alone than we would prefer to be. And I'm just going to speak straight up here. If you have used the excuse, but Zoom just isn't the same, you are both right and it doesn't matter at all. Zoom isn't the same as meeting together. Amen. I, I'm getting to a point, I hate Zoom. But if it's, I can only meet in person or I have to sit at home alone, give me Zoom all day, every day. We have to get creative. Let's acknowledge this is not the same as it has been in previous years. Talking to someone with a mask on, I never realized how much I read lips. I don't understand what any of you are saying unless I can see your mouth. Okay, I'm trying to read, like, talk with your hands more. It would really help me. It's not the same for me. Acknowledged. But if it's that or just give up and go sit alone, uh, let's do some work. Let's get on the phone. I, I hate talking on the phone, but I like it better than sitting in a room alone. Zoom is not the same. Having small groups over Zoom. Many of you have had like Christmases over Zoom, and it's not the same, and you're right. But it's better than the alternative because hope is really, really hard alone. Alone, we will tailspin, naturally. Let us not forsake the gathering together. We need each other. I will not experience the hope God has for me alone. I need you to encourage me, to spur me on, to remind me that he is good and faithful in the promises that he has made, and you need me to do the same for you. If we're going to pursue hope, we need each other to do it. We can all pursue hope by living into three truths. Hope is a person, hope is hard on empty, and hope is hard alone. So let's take a minute and just learn from each other here. I would love to just hear some of your like just practical thoughts. Like what does this really look like in real life? What are some practical ideas that have helped you either maintain or maybe revive hope in your life? Especially during this season where just everything is different. What does it look like for you? Okay, before we go there, I just am like kind of geeking out over here because... That was geeking out in case you missed it. Water in the morning impacting our health. But isn't that 
I know this truth that I'm not supposed to just give up meeting together. So okay, like I'll reach out even though I don't feel like it and I don't have it, and then going from there. So I just think it's super cool how all three of them build in on like if Jesus is our hope and He's not left us, then these things we do it, it's like practicing hope. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't. It's not like some big mystery like oh that hope will come, but you're actually like choosing hope by like doing those. I mentioned drinking water, and I knew that that would set her off, so that's on me, everyone. No, but what you're saying is, right, all of these things, like, because they don't necessarily feel spiritual, but all of them are practicing hope, are putting us in a position where we can see Jesus more clearly, because I know that, again, when I'm on empty, I can't do it, and so how do I begin to practice that Jesus will honor that and meet with me. And I, I may have shared this before. There was, there was a number of people a couple weeks ago, we had our servant's heart uh, outreach to the schools, to the fire department, to the police, uh, and we asked people to make cookies and take them out there. Normally, when we have these servant heart things in a non-2020 year, the first five minutes after we announce it, all the spots are filled, and we have to start turning people away. This time, we had to announce it a couple different times and go, hey, we still got a couple schools. Will anyone? And I talked to... At least two different people, it might have been three, who said, you know, normally I would jump at this, but this year I just feel like I don't have it in me. And they were just like, they were tired. They were running on empty, and they were like, is it really going to make a difference? And they had all these questions. And I watched each of them, and I was so proud just as their pastor, even though they're all older than me and someone else should take credit for their growth, but I was just like so proud of them because every one of them said, but you know what, like, that's dumb. I can't just sit here and just expect things to magically change. I'm gonna do what I used to do because I hope that then I'll begin to feel like I used to feel. you know. And so they said, sign me up for this school. And each of them, I talked to them afterwards and they go, I feel so much better after just doing what I knew I should have been doing from the beginning. I had to take that step, but man, I just feel so much better now having done that. They were, they were practicing hope and then they begin to experience the effects of it. So. What are some practical ideas that have helped you either maintain or revive hope in your life, especially during this time? Or are we all at a point where we're going, still trying to figure it out? Don't know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, just keeping the routine. Part of... That maintaining hope is not giving it up. I'm not just going to give in to inaction and just, ah, who cares? I'm going to choose to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And it's amazing how getting up, making your bed, I mean, whatever your routine is, does help put you in a position where I'm I'm in a position where I can receive more throughout the day, where I have more that I can give throughout the day because of these things that, again, don't seem spiritual, but they put me in the position where I'm, I'm able to hear what God says. I'm able to do what God calls me to do. So a routine can be an incredibly helpful thing. What else? Nothing too small. Let's learn from each other. Do you like use lyric videos? Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, they can be pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, a, a seemingly small change, but you know what? Like during my normal time with Jesus, I'm going to take a few minutes and just worship and just sing. And, and it's amazing what adding that one little facet, what, what kind of life that can bring. Dads, invest in a sound system. I just gave you all the permission you've ever wanted in life. Get a good sound system that can go louder than your children. And your wife will be able to worship. She's welcome. What else? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There is something, too, 
uh, again, it gives like a little fresh perspective on even, okay, I, I read scripture every day. Maybe I'm going to try reading it out loud. Maybe I'm going to try listening to it. Maybe I'm going to read it in a different translation. Just I'm going to do this, maybe even the same thing I normally do. I'm just going to tweak it a little bit. And it just kind of makes it new, and it brings some new life into it, which fills those buckets. It's good. Sure. Sure. Now we went, we drove up to that um, Whoville, which is mm-hmm. you know, just a little neighborhood, but we took our granddaughter and took her through that. And she, she didn't pay much attention to it except for she saw Snoopy and she was excited. <laughs> I had a hard time this Christmas, I think. Um, it, I just didn't want to do anything. Yeah. Yeah, here's, I don't, I don't have a verse to put with this one. This is just something I've experienced and maybe it's true for everyone I think it might be. So some things I say, hold on tightly. Some things hold open-handed, hold this one open-handed. I believe that we can borrow other people's faith, other people's hope. And what I mean by that is not like, I don't ever have to work to produce my own. But again, when I'm in those low times, when I'm in a time where I just don't have it in me when I would ever, who is it that I can call who, who is living out hope, who is living out faith? And you know what? I just need to be around that person because there's something contagious about it. And simply just proximity, just being with them, my spirits start to get lifted. My buckets start to get full. A big thing for me in a couple different buckets is time with people. And, and sometimes it's specific people. Just being around them and the conversations that happen and some of that fills my buckets. And I know that in times when I'm apart from those people for too long, it's automatically draining. And so sometimes it's just, I need to be around those people because they rub off on me. And it's infectious, if you can say that nowadays. Their hope and their faith are infectious. What else? Being outside. Even if it's cold. These two hike together a fair amount. That's a big one. What else? Like getting out if you can. Just like leaving the house. I go and I babysit like um, Bernie and Brian's kids all the time because I just need to leave the house. It was honestly really nice even though I'm like chasing all three of the kids. It's really nice to just be somewhere new. Yeah. Think about what she just said. My home life is so terrible that it actually restores me to go watch other people's young children. But, but I get it. No. <laughs> yeah, it, it, sometimes it is that change of pace, that change of scenery uh, that just kind of lets us go, oh, that's right, and just breathe. That's good. Well, there's something too. Uh, part of this, when I use the term depression, I'm not, I'm not just talking about some kind of clinical depression, though that certainly would fall in here, but even just those depressed feelings, those isolated feelings, what they naturally do is they get us to focus on me, on my problems, on how I don't like this, on how, and the, the scriptures talk so much about grumbling and complaining and how detrimental that is in the life of a believer. The, the 2020 is the perfect scenario for us to grumble and complain 
because in, in many ways we're told to isolate. We're told, and the more alone we get, the more self-focused we get, the more problems we find, and the downward spiral continues. It is amazing the freedom that comes through refusing to focus on my problems and go, I'm going to help somebody else. I'm going to make a meal for somebody else. I'm going to shovel my neighbor's driveway. I'm gonna, whatever it may be. In those simple acts, by taking my eyes off of myself and looking at the needs somebody else has, it's amazing how life-bringing that becomes and how God begins to speak and to use those things. We weren't meant to stare. It's called a navel gaze, to stare at our own belly button. Life is all about me and how I feel. The world tells you that that's the way you're supposed to pursue life. The scriptures tell us that will kill you every single time. Instead, lift your eyes. Consider others better than yourselves. Fix your eyes on him who is faithful and fulfills his promises. That's where life is found, not through focus on me. And listen, we have to walk this kind of tension of I do need to be aware of, of the choices I'm making and the effects they have on my life. I need to, to make sure that I'm in a position where I can help others, where I'm healthy enough to, to, to give to others, but not go so far with it that it's all about me and my health because I've been called to love others even more than myself. And so it is this tension that we have to walk. It's not 100% one or 100% the other. I'm going to serve others to the detriment of myself, and eventually I've got nothing left to give and I burn out. This thing's a marathon. And so how do I take care of myself but for the purpose of taking care of others? Does that make sense? Any other thoughts? I get together with Tim every week. Me too. You guys should get together with Kim at least once a week. I know at least two people, it really helps. Having someone that you can discuss life with, having someone that you can share, whether it's concerns, whether it's praises, whether it's talking about what God has done or someone to challenge you, it's called discipleship. Uh, the Bible recommends it. And it's incredible the life and the restoration that comes from having discipleship relationships. If that's something where you're going, man, I would love that, but I don't have that, come and talk to me. I, I would love to work with you and to see what we can do to help build some of those relationships. Because again, do not forsake the gathering together of believers. Life is found there. So let me finish by... I'm actually going to pray uh, this passage of scripture over us, and then we're going to sing uh, one last song and we'll be dismissed. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, may you make this true in our lives. As we pursue you, may we be filled to overflowing with hope by your Holy Spirit splashing it on all of those who live around us. Be glorified through us, God, as we pursue you. In Jesus' name, amen.